0: Well, we are going to, as we continue to anticipate Good Friday and Easter here in a few weeks, uh, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Colossian church together. Um, More specifically today, we're going to be in chapter 2, starting at verse 6, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But as you're turning there, when you read today's passage, (laughs) you realize, oh man, this is not only a, a longer one, but it comes across in initial reading as quite confusing. And when I initially read this passage, preparing for this message, I thought, I have no idea what I'm going to say. (laughs) I'm going to get up there on Sunday, I'm going to say something, that I have no clue what it's going to be. When you read this passage, you'll see, man, there are times that the Bible feels so relevant and so accessible, but there are also times where you remember, oh yeah, he's writing to a first century uh, culture that is not ours. And see, in this letter, Paul is trying to write to this new group of Christians in the city of Colossae. And he's trying to encourage them. He sees their faith is genuine, their love is genuine, but he sees that there's a lot of threats that could potentially dilute their faith and weaken them as a church. And he sees one in particular, that there are these persuasive personalities coming into Colossae, peddling this self-made religion, this philosophy, this, really, it was a pseudo-Jewish mysticism. That, that said, hey, we're going to show you the way to get amazing visions, to, to dance with the angels, to def- have victory over the powers of evil. If you follow this program of ours to, to go back to some of the Jewish laws and to throw in a little astrology, pagan astrology in there, and then if you deprive your body and beat yourself in order to loosen sin's grip on you, then you will rise up to heaven. And when I was reading this, I was like, it's just weird. (laughs) It's just weird. Like, what what does this first century situation have anything to do with us? And Wednesday morning, though, about 5 a.m., I was woken up. And that never happens. But I was woken up at 5 a.m., and God immediately brought this passage back to my mind. Now, I wake up with words in my mind. But it's never Scripture, (laughs) or rarely Scripture, if you know what I mean. But this was this rare occasion. This Wednesday was different. And I woke up, and all of a sudden, this passage started illuminating for me in a way that I can only say was God's Spirit. And what I want to share with you today is not just what God's Word says But I hope that every time David or I or Matt or anybody gets up here, that we can show you how it has impacted and transformed our lives too. And that's what I want to share with you today. Colossians chapter 6, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. These are the words that immediately came to my mind Wednesday morning. It says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And it hit me. How did I receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, I I didn't climb a ladder of my good deeds to reach his throne. I didn't dazzle Jesus by slaying the dragons of evil to then be knighted before him. I came to him poor, empty-handed, weak, weary, burdened. And before him, he then handed me The result of his death, which was forgiveness. He then handed me the victory over the grave, which he won. So how did I come to him? With nothing. But receiving overwhelming gratitude, peace, joy, and love from God. But then that then led to the main question which I felt like right after that, it pressed upon my heart. If that's how you received me, is that what you're living right now? With love, joy, overwhelming gratitude and peace, does that characterize your life with me now? And in a loving way, I realized I realize that all that, that was a loving question, right? And I and, I, and in that moment, I realized, no, not really. That more often it's not joy that I feel; it's guilt. It's not an awareness of God's love that I feel. It's it's my own negative thoughts. It's not a sense of His grace and gratitude as much as the constant awareness of my own thoughts telling me how far short I fall. And I said, "Lord, I, how did this happen?" How is it that we can receive you in love, grace, peace, and joy? And then over time as I walk with you, all of a sudden those things start to slip out the back and I return to this place of guilt. It was almost as if, i Scripture I, I, says, I, I died with Christ, rose with him, and he's liberated me from the grave, but then I go back to it. Why? And then I realize that this passage really opens that question. Because Paul is going to open up for us here. He's going to, he warns these Colossian Christians, don't fall for the voices and the deceptions that try to convince you that Jesus is not enough. Don't allow those voices to come and steal your joy, your love, your hope in me because now you start looking someplace beyond me. There are so many voices surrounding us in this world that promise freedom but only deliver burdens. He says, I want to show you how not to allow that to happen. So this morning, I want us to look together at several different deceptions that seek to steal our joy, our love, our peace in Christ. And I want us to see how they work. But only then, after that, do I want to then show us how do we learn to live consistently in the freedom and the joy that is ours in Christ. Does that sound good to you guys? All right. We're gonna do something different today, though. I want you to stand as we read God's word. It is by standing that with our physical bodies we honor his word. And it's by standing <laughs> practically we got a blood flow into our brains so we pay attention to his word. And as we read this, like I said, it's gonna be a little bit long, but I want to give you two questions to think through as we read it. Number one, what Warnings. There are three of them. What warnings does Paul give to this new church in Colossae? And number two, what does he say is already ours in Christ? You got it? What are the three warnings? And what is our reality in Christ? Here we go. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And we're going to read chapter 3, verse 4. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive, say, captive. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you have been raised with him through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God, made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, say triumphing, over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment, say judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Say disqualify. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the whole body nourished and knit Together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all, all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then, everybody say, if then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds... On things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Lord, take this word. Transform our minds, our hearts, our lives. We are yours in Jesus' name. And everybody said, thank you. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Now, I know that passage is long. But did did you pick up on some of those warnings? I'll give you a hint. I made you repeat some of them as we went along. But what is Paul's main concern for these new Christians? As he sees that they received Christ, and that's real, what what is his main concern that could halt or stunt their growth and life together with Jesus? I'll tell you, it's not what I would think. It's not, he, his main concern are not the external storms and winds of political powers, economic situations, you name it. The outside circumstances going around him. That's not his main concern like it would be probably for me. Instead, his main concern is their roots. Their roots. Where are they going to find who they are? and their life, and their identity, and their joy, and their peace, and their love. Why? Because the strongest storms cannot blow down a church with secure roots in Christ. But a gentle breeze can topple any insecure foundation. As you received Christ Jesus to the Lord, so walk in Him, Paul said, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. What does it mean to be rooted? Again, that's where do we go for identity, for our love, for our peace, for our joy, for our hope? Where do we turn? That's our roots. And if you remember from Colossians chapter 1, Paul already said, look at Jesus. This is the supreme creator. It is from him and through him and to him are all things. He is a sufficient sacrifice who gave everything that he might give you new life and he made peace Total peace between you and God already. In other words, why root yourself in anyone or anything else than Jesus? He is enough. But he's saying all of this because he knows that there are persuasive personalities waltzing through Colossae, peddling an artificial religion and philosophy, eloquently singing a very different but deadly tune. And we start to pick together from this passage and from this letter clues that give us an idea of what it is that they were teaching. And we can deduce from all of this that these hucksters were claiming that, yeah, Jesus forgives you. He gets you in the door with God. But they didn't tell you the whole thing. We have got the whole story. Because if you want to ascend the heights of spiritual glory, if you want to sing with the angels, if you want to experience mystical vision that will impress all your friends, if you want to break the power of evil around you, Jesus isn't enough. We got just a program for you. Thing is, though, you got to go back to some of the Jewish laws. You have to be circumcised, right? You got to practice the Sabbath you got to do the festivals, throw in a little pagan ideas like astrology. And if you're really serious, you will beat and deprive your physical body to loosen sin's hold on you so that you can float up to heavenly glory. And I'm sure that all of this they laid out for them after they paid a subscription monthly of $29.99 after a free day seven trial. Free day trial. And while we look at all this and we're like... Anyone's nuts for believing this kind of stuff? We have to remember, for these first century believers, Judaism and paganism was familiar. Jesus was new. And a lot of the things they were laying out for them, that was what was already familiar. That is where they came from. And so it certainly felt like, well, that should be what we're doing. But what's the true danger in all of this? That instead of trusting the freedom that they already have in Christ, that they would trade all that they have in Christ and begin to root themselves in human philosophies and ideologies that will ultimately lead them toward a never-ending ladder of religious good deeds. To put it another way, Man-made ideologies and religion trade a foundation of freedom and rest in Christ's love for a stairmaster that never ends. Why do we go back to that if that's what we've been given so much freedom? But if you think about it, that's exactly what Israel did in the Old Testament. They were freed from Egypt. God brought them out to a land to flourish. But they end up going back to the idols anyway. It's the equivalent of who stepped out of the grave to go right back in. And yet I've realized the number of ways that I've done the same thing in my own 21st century American way. Instead of resting in Christ's love, I still still feel I must earn it. Instead of just resting in his love for me, I feel like I must then earn it from other people by trying to live up to their standards for me. Instead of receiving Christ's grace, I condemn myself when I don't measure up. Instead of receiving his peace, I still assume that God must be mad at me, so I avoid praying. Instead of receiving his joy, I hear these ads that tell me these things will give me joy. And I fall for it! But Paul says that the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And Christ dwells in you. So why would I go chasing after human standards, achievements, and material stuff for the peace, the joy, and the love that is already mine in Christ? Because I've fallen for the deception, empty deception, that Jesus must not be enough. And Scripture says that just as all truth finds its source in God, all deception finds its source in the father of lies who is called Satan, whose title literally means the accuser. And whether it's Christ followers in Colossae or North Reading here north of Boston, guess what? The accuser seeks to deceive us in the same ways he did them. So how does Paul warn them here? Well, see, God's enemy enemy promises us what we already have in Christ, but he never intends to deliver it. All right, you guys weren't listening to that one. Let me say that again. See, God's enemy promises us what we already have in Christ, but he never intends to deliver it. See, God's enemy is no dummy. He's not going to come at you and tell you a lie that you already know did not be true. Instead, the way he often deceives us is that he pinpoints a felt need that we have in the moment. And then he promises that his way will ultimately fulfill that felt need if we'll just do and sign up for whatever it is he says. And so I want to show us in this passage how this Colossian deception really appealed to three people felt human needs that not only did they have but we have and then I want to show us how Paul gives three warnings in response to each of those and how he explains that those needs have already been met in Jesus all right you got it three felt needs three warnings how Jesus has already met those first Satan tries to weaken the church's roots by appealing to their need for Assurance. First century Colise was a very spiritual, religious place. And it was just assumed by the general population that evil spirits were just around and present. And that was scary. That was terrifying, especially coming from a pagan background. It's like, you can't control these things. And so with that fear still somewhat resident in that community, these false teachers show up and say, Hey, we have a program that will liberate you from their power. If you just get circumcised, if you start fasting and beating your bodies, then it'll loosen evil's hold on you. But Paul says, while they promise the assurance of freedom, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive. Because that's really what's going on here. He said, you don't have, did you realize circumcision cuts off a little piece of flesh But do you realize that in Christ, he already took your whole body of flesh and it died with him when he died? He said, in baptism, that symbolizes that. Your old self completely died. You have resurrected with him. You have new life in him. While you were once lifeless, apart from God, he took all of your sin, all that the enemy had to condemn you, he took it all, and he put it on himself and nailed it to the cross, therefore satisfying the legal demands of God against you, so you are free from guilt. Free from guilt. And then when he shed his grave clothes... He proved once and for all that the ultimate weapon that evil had used against humanity, that was death, had no hold on him. And he said he put them on public display and triumphed over them in him. And his thing is, he says, listen, his death is your death, but his victory is your victory. His triumph is your triumph. And all of that is, is seen. The fact that he resurrected from the grave, that is the evidence of assurance that you have that it's true. But for us, while we may, it's not as common to fear evil spirits in our culture, we certainly, our fear often points toward uncontrollable powers such as political, economic, cultural forces at work around us, influencing us, our children, our grandchildren, whoever it may be. That is where we often need assurance. And there are many opportunistic leaders voices in our culture that if they can give us a sense of assurance they know they're going to gather a following but Paul would say to us don't you realize that if all the fullness of God dwells in Christ and Christ dwells in us and he is the head of all rule and authority he is our assurance today too You guys with me? Man, I wish I could keep going on that. But second, in addition to assurance, Satan tries to weaken the church by appealing to their need for affirmation. See, when they brought in their program, the religious program of duties and do this and do that, the false teachers now introduced a way that you and I could measure ourselves against each other. As long as I abstain from certain foods and drink and I observe these rituals and these, all these things, I can earn the respect and admiration of others in the club. So if you're somebody in the first century, you felt import, unimportant. You felt overlooked. Like you wanted respect. Well, here's a system by which you can earn the respect of other people. But Paul hits strong here. He warns. He said, do you realize this performance-based affirmation is not setting you up to be affirmed, but to be judged? He said, because the truth is, once you get on that treadmill that they set out for you, it will never be enough. Someone will always be better than you someone will always elevate higher than you and someone will always look down on you and on top of that even if you win at their religious games of of sabbath keeping and all of these things he said don't you realize the old testament gave us those as a picture a foreshadowing of christ He it and you already have jesus jesus is the substance all those other things are just shadows You're playing in something that's not even real when you already have the real Christ with you. The king of heaven has already affirmed you. He has already called you. He already loves you. He gave his life for you. You do not need another human being's affirmation. You do not need to live up to anybody else's standards because you were already embraced in the love of God. He is enough. And third, after assurance and affirmation, deception often ties itself to our need for acceptance. In our individualistic, lonely society, by the way, if you didn't know, America is one of the most individualistic nations in the world. And that's just, that's just what sociologists have confirmed Meaning that we are so used to depending on ourselves, living for ourselves, and we don't feel always the need for community, which leaves loneliness to be a common theme in our society. And so you can believe that the need for acceptance is strong. And when these leaders came into Colossae, they weren't just saying, come do these things. They were saying, come be one of us. Come join into our community. But what's the warning in the midst of that? He said performance-based acceptance is a setup to be disqualified. Not accepted. You know, you see a lot of companies today um, who are starting to turn their workplaces They put foosball tables in there and couches and try to make the company a place of community, which is great, right? Like it gives a sense of camaraderie and people like each other and they hang out and they work longer because they're now together. But let me say, when when you have a bad quarter, when you all of a sudden don't perform, what happens? Where goes your community? See ya. See ya. And Paul says... But when you're in a relationship with Christ, don't you realize that you belong and you are connected to him, not because of what you've done or not done, but because of what he's already done. And and, and so therefore, it's not performance-based, it's grace-based. And not only are you connected to Christ, but he said, but you are also nourished and knit together, growing with others. You're not just born into him, but you're born into a community with Christ of people who are, who are learning based on his grace to accept each other as they have been accepted. As Paul said to the Romans, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Because our community is based on grace, not performance. The affirmation. The assurance, the acceptance we crave is already ours in Christ. So Paul, how do I live into that? How do I live as if that is reality? I know how easy it is for me to slip, how loud the voices are, and sometimes I just start following these standards that people put out for me, not even realizing that you never gave it to me. How do I live in that? Paul says the more we come back to who we are in Christ the stronger we walk in Christ together. Whether you realize it or not, Paul had a personality. At times, he's a little snarky, and I like it. But he knows that these religious leaders are claiming that they have the ladder that will get you up to heavenly glory. And Paul comes back at them and he says, Do you realize you're already there? They're telling you how to get there. You're already there. He says, you are already hidden in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. In order to grow stronger together, you don't need more religion. You simply need to remember and believe who you are daily and all that has already been given to you in Christ. And this is why Paul says, set your minds on things Above, In the midst of all the loud voices peddling their products, peddling that, they're, that whatever they're selling is going to fulfill everything that you need. He says you only grow as you come back regularly to remember who you are. But how do we set our mind? How do we do that? Well, really, it's to set our mind is really just another way of saying learning to Meditate. Meditate. But we need to understand that Christian meditation is very different from, say, the meditation of transcendental yoga or Eastern meditation. It's very different. I read a great article by Jen Wilkin, a Bible, Bible teacher, Jen Wilkin, in Christianity Today, and she was saying that, that a lot of Eastern or, or, or mystical meditation focuses on emptying your mind in order to try to escape from the world. She said, but the point for Christians is that we set our minds on Christ and the things above, not to empty, but to fill our minds with his word and a better understanding of his reality. And we set our minds on him not to escape the world, but to prepare ourselves to act within it, not from a place of anxiety and agitation, but peace, joy, and love. In other words, we meditate or we set our minds on Christ that we might know how to love and obey Christ here on earth. Does that make sense? And I've been trying some of this lately, but I fell into it accidentally. (laughs) Because you know how it is. Sometimes you have to get to that place of just agitation before you finally do something about it. And I remember um, if you know me well, you know, I I'm a task-driven kind of guy. I don't like to stop until I feel like everything's done. Well, guess what? That never happens. So I just kind of keep going, keep going, keep going, unaware of how peace and love and joy are just kind of slipping out the back. Anybody else with me? And then one day, I was, it was my day off, and I felt agitated, impatient. Not at anybody in particular, just unsettled. And I stepped away and I said, Jesus, what's going on? I don't even know why I'm feeling this way. And in that moment, as I stepped away, immediately these words came to my mind. They were coming out of Jesus' words out of Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart in the first century a yoke was the big thick heavy piece of wood strapped across two oxen as they plowed a field but jesus says take my yoke instead of trying to carry all the burdens and the worries and the expectations of others take that off and pick up my yoke instead and guess what when we're sharing a yoke with jesus who's bearing the full weight of it he is, not me. He is. And of course, as we are strapped together, I learn to live life with him. And he gently, lovingly teaches me how to do what he's called me to do, but with him and his strength. And so he says these words, come and learn. Come and learn. Which is really the same as Set your mind on things above. And as we learn to shed the weights and the expectations the world gives us, we shed them in the same way that Jesus shed his grave clothes. And then we come with him and we learn to pray. We learn to journal our thoughts, ruminate on his word, worship, whatever. But, but then we listen in that moment for his voice of love, peace, joy amidst all the others. That with him we might rediscover again the overwhelming gratitude that isn't for us just when we came to Christ but is meant to be the theme of our grace filled lives and then as he fills us up yet again, he leads us out to see all of those who are weary burdened, heavy laden under the yoke of this world that we might see, God, what is the felt need that is being appealed to here and how can I show them how Jesus meets that need in himself that they might too be willing to take that yoke off and instead put Jesus's on and walk in his joy, peace, and love. That just as we've received him, so we learn to walk in him. Stand up, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of allowing the religions and the systems and the expectations of, of achievement in this world to to determine my own joy or peace. Lord, I'm tired of of trying to pretend as if it's never enough. But instead, Lord, we come to you admitting that we're tired. We feel heavy, burdened. And may you teach us how to let go of these things And instead, walk with you in your energy as we live for you. Not settling for a compromised life, but instead pursuing all that you are, knowing the joy, the peace, and the love that flows from it. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, And everybody said, amen.